0: This is the intersection section.
1: This is the intersection podcast for Saturday, the twenty first of January, twenty seventeen. Episode Two Beyond Coincidence. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm your host, Jonathan Wildman, and we've made it to episode two. So thank you very much for those who listened last week. And thanks to all those people out there who sent me lots of feedback. I find it most useful and as I've said, you know, this show will get bigger and it will get better and your feedback only helps. So please continue to send us feedback. That would be great and it is appreciated. Um, Some good news. We're finally listed on iTunes. Yay. So we're a lot more easier to find now. We're listed on iTunes. We're listed on TuneIn Radio. We will be listed soon on SoundCloud. So help us to promote this podcast. Just spread the word to anyone you might feel like might be interested in what we have to say and... uh, we can only grow with your continued support and um, your continued feedback. So thank you very much for sticking with us and on with the show. Now, in the last episode, we discussed Apple's iPhone and we marked the occasion of it being 10 years since Steve Jobs unveiled the product to the world in 2007. I wanted to jump back to that period of time for a moment and to instead look at Microsoft. Now, during that particular period of time, Microsoft was under the 10 year old, uh, Steve Ballmer. And many describe that period of time as being Microsoft's dark years. I just want to preface that quickly with the fact that Microsoft never really experienced any dark years in terms of the bottom line. I mean, they always dominated and continue to dominate the enterprise space. But in terms of leading the way in terms of innovation and exciting consumers and, and, and you know, creating electronics that uh, your everyday person could use, Apple were leading the way back then and Microsoft were faltering Microsoft were doing pretty well with the Xbox console, but as an organization, they were actually losing interest in it. They didn't really seem particularly interested in in, in the gaming space at all. Well, rather Steve Ballmer wasn't. Um, and there were many stories about his lack of enthusiasm and even wanting to discontinue the line. But many will remember Ballmer's stubbornness and the fact that He was incredibly short-sighted, despite the fact that, actually, as a CEO, he was rather good. You know, he, Microsoft, did very well financially. He was short-sighted. Many remember how he kind of uh, dismissed the iPhone when it was announced, saying no one would be prepared to buy that product, especially at the price that Apple wanted to charge for it. And Bonner just wasn't a product man. Steve Jobs was a product man. Now, in terms of the mobile space, Microsoft did have a head start with the Windows mobile platform. However, because of the short sightedness of Ballmer, they were completely muscled out of the market by the likes of, well, Apple's iPhone, which was exciting people at the time. Um, BlackBerry were doing pretty well, and eventually uh, the introduction of uh, Google's Android. Now, despite what people might claim to remember from that time, uh, Steve Ballmer was actually a good CEO. Microsoft were dominating uh, enterprise. And at the end of the day, enterprise is where the money is at. However, where Microsoft were really suffering was especially with consumers, Was was in terms of mind share. They simply weren't excited, they had nothing fresh to offer, and they were increasingly falling behind the likes of Apple. It wasn't until the appointment of the new CEO once Ballmer stepped down, the new CEO being Satelia Nadalia when he was appointed in 2014 that things started to turn around for Microsoft. Microsoft all of a sudden started to do right. Nadalia seemed to be more of a product man and much in the vein of Steve Jobs, actually. Products made him excited. Uh, services made him excited. It wasn't just about the bottom line, in Nadalia, and it wasn't short-sighted. Microsoft repented for the sins of Windows 8 by releasing Windows 10, which um, is a very, very capable operating system and a much beloved operating system. Microsoft also continued to grow the Xbox brand from strength to strength, and the Xbox One is doing incredibly well. But it was really the introduction of the Surface line of tablets, uh, or hybrid computers, that Microsoft really reinvigorated their brand and won back the mindshare that they had lost before with consumers. Now, Microsoft, who once had a very schizophrenic array of different products and services that never quite meshed well together, suddenly had a very coherent ecosystem, much like Apple's. Now, Microsoft were controlling their own hardware. They were optimizing their operating systems to perform best on the hardware that they were producing, which is why the Surface has done so well. The Surface line of computers have done so well. And why Microsoft now are able to charge um, the same sort of premium um, prices for, for, for tablets and for laptops as Apple have seemed to have enjoyed for a number of years. The Surface brand is now synonymous with quality, and it really is a turnaround for Microsoft. Now, the real irony of this situation and and, and of Microsoft actually enjoying a turn in fortune was that Apple were starting to be criticized, particularly after the death of Steve Jobs, for stagnating in terms of product innovation. There are many claims that uh, Tim Cook, who is CEO of Apple at the moment is very much the Steve Ballmer of Apple, that Apple have been becoming a little bit too complacent in terms of their uh, position in the market and aren't really driving things forward. Microsoft announced the Surface Studio last year, which many claim is the desktop for designers that Apple should have announced themselves. Now, Apple launched the MacBook Pro, the long-awaited MacBook Pro, which was met with a lot of derision by the creatives. Many complaints that the new touch bar feature was nothing more than a useless gimmick. Complaints about the removal of legacy ports and the reliance on dongles just to get old accessories to work. And complaints about the battery life and the performance. The Surface Studio was met with excitement. That's the difference. Much like the excitement that the Surface Pro Brought to the market and the excitement that the Surface Book brought to the market. Although I don't quite understand the excitement over the Surface Book, but it's, it, it seems to have been a hit. In terms of virtual reality, um, the other players such as Google and Facebook all have compelling products to show. In terms of augmented reality, Apple have expressed an interest, but that's about all they have done. They haven't delivered anything, yet Microsoft have a product in the HoloLens. The HoloLens is an incredibly exciting product. I've yet to try one, but, you know, I would jump on the first opportunity. So while Satya and Nadalia's vision for Microsoft continues to grow from strength to strength, one area where they haven't been able to recover has been that of the mobile space, after the death of Windows Mobile, there was a disastrous effort that was Windows Phone. The Windows Phone platform was was very nice. You know, it, it was slick, it, it, it had a very nice uh, operating system, and it, it was a very polished product. However, it wasn't met with much enthusiasm by consumers, and mainly because uh, it wasn't met with much enthusiasm by developers. There was little to no apps available for that platform. So people were naturally more interested with iOS and Android. So, there have always been rumors that Microsoft would have one more attempt at the mobile space and they would use the Surface brand to do so. And Satya Nadelli has always dropped cryptic uh, sort of hints that Microsoft are interested in mobile and that a Surface phone type product is imminent. But there's never been anything more tangible than that. Until recently, a patent has been unearthed, uh, which shows where Microsoft could be headed in terms of their next mobile efforts. And again, it does seem to support the notion that they, at this moment in time, seem to be out Apple in Apple. Now, Microsoft tech blog MS Power User have uh, revealed a number of patent filings that they've discovered, uh, describing a device that, Microsoft seem to be working on, uh, that uh, if you imagine like a very large smartphone, like a tablet almost, and instead of the single screen, there is a screen at the front and there's a screen at the back. Now this concept shows that this device can transform a number of different form factors. So the two screens actually fold out and snap together to actually transform the device from a phablet-style smartphone, into a tablet. So this seems to be the direction or a direction that Microsoft is considering for their next mobile effort. And it sounds incredibly daring and it sounds quite fascinating. It would be a unique concept. And really, again, it just reminds us of how Microsoft seem to be making bolder steps in terms of product innovation than the likes of Apple at the moment. Now, I'll put a link to the show notes so you can look at MS Power users' article in detail and have a look at the um, the diagrams from the patent filings. Now, this immediately reminded me of Microsoft's concept device called the Courier. And if you remember, they actually uh, revealed a video in 2009 or 2010, thereabouts, Uh, showing the ideas behind this device. And what it was like was, it was a dual-screen tablet with a spine running along the middle, much like a book or a diary, and the screens would fold together when you're, you know, when you you finish using the device, you want to put it in your bag and, and whatnot. But, um... It, the The concept video showed how on one side you could be sketching notes on the other side you could have a web browser or have images and you could literally drag things across from one screen to another so it was very much like a um like a, like a notebook like a sketchbook um with the idea being that the dual screen the dual screen form factor would, would, would aid and assist you in the organization of your notes and your ideas. And it was a fascinating concept and it excited a lot of people when that video was, was, was was leaked or, or, or released. Um, and, and it excited a lot of people. And I really do hope that, uh, Microsoft are really looking to re-explore this concept and to use it as the basis of the, uh, the fabled surface phone. So, uh, keep our eyes open for that one and um, if you've totally forgotten about that career video or you've never seen it i will put a link to it in the show notes a couple of brief news snippets uh, concerning Apple and iOS. On Tuesday, Apple announced changes to its App Store pricing in the UK, and it's not good news. There is a price hike. Uh, apps that uh, were once on sale for 99 cents in the US App Store used to cost 79p in the UK App Store. That has been increased to 99p. Apps at uh, the second sort of price tier, which were once one pound forty nine in the UK, have been jacked up to one ninety nine. Apple is uh, blaming the uh, the price increase on uh, fluctuations on the exchange rate and the we weakening pound at the moment, thanks to Brexit. Yay, we have our country back. News that also broke on Tuesday involved rumors concerning the iPhone 6 and that Apple are due to announce a battery replacement program for undisclosed reasons. Now, the iPhone 6 Plus had its fair share of problems before with the dreaded touch disease, and the iPhone 6S had its own battery replacement program as a number of handsets were mysteriously shutting themselves down. Um, But it's yet to be determined whether this apparent battery replacement program is related to those issues at all. Now, I've had an iPhone 6 myself, which has now uh, become the hand-me-down given to my my oldest son, and I've never noticed any real issues with the battery apart from the fact that it was always useless from day one. Um, Incredibly short battery life. But we'll uh, keep our ears open for any more information, and and, and especially in terms of uh, such a program being launched in the UK and how it would affect you iPhone 6 owners out there. Now, I'll take you back to last year, uh, September of 2016, and what was going on in the tech industry. There was a feeling of disappointment uh, after Apple's announcement of the iPhone 7. Um, We heard a number of rumours leading up to the point of announcement that it would not receive a physical redesign, and it would resemble the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6S, and there would be little new brought to the table apart from water resistance uh, and a minor spec-up bump. Of course, we did have a dual camera on the the 7 Plus model, but um, people were more excited by Samsung's flagship product at the time, the Galaxy Note 7. And Samsung literally claimed that they had the hottest product on the market. Um, Little did they know how those words would come back to bite them. From September, we had increasing reports at an alarming rate, actually, of Galaxy Note 7 devices catching fire burning down sheds, burning down cars, and eventually burning down houses. Samsung withdrew withdrew sales of the Galaxy Note 7 and claimed that they were investigating uh, the reports um, and they would put the item back on sale and issue a fix once they determined what was the cause of those particular handsets catching fire. Samson said that there were a number of faulty, well, small number of faulty batteries um, and the devices had been replaced and they had offered a software fix. The software fix basically reduced the charge of the Galaxy Note 7 to 30% of its capacity. Now, about a month later in October, um, there were reports of the replacement devices catching fire and and, and the same disaster that was happening as before. So, obviously, the, 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 uh, the situation was a lot more serious than Samsung led us to believe. They were forced to withdraw the product from the market uh, indefinitely. And they issued a program asking, advising um, their customers to return the handsets uh, for a full refund or an exchange for the Galaxy S7 product. After Samsung's hackneyed attempts at a fix and the fact that replacement phones were now exploding and catching fire, the Galaxy Note range was basically finished. Um, customers lost all faith in Samsung and all trust in Samsung, and there were even reports about them trying to cover up the fact, initially trying to cover up the fact that the replacement phones were, were were also at fault. Now, what happened was uh, a mass global recall of these phones. And we had a situation where Samsung were forced to issue um, push messages in uh, November, December time, demanding that any customers who still have possessions of these handsets hand them in. And there was actually an update pushed in December that actually bricked the remaining devices that were out there in the wild. Now, Samsung had also had the issue of the fact that their name was tarnished in the sense that you couldn't catch a flight without a warning being given about Galaxy Note 7 phones. If you have a Galaxy Note 7 phone, please switch it off. Please don't board the plane. And that eventually got uh, lost in translation a little bit and uh, turned into, if you have a Samsung phone, please turn it off. Um, So their reputation was definitely tarnished. I remember reports from the United States how certain major airports in, in in the USA had collection points where people could hand in their Samsung Galaxy Note 7s uh, to instantly get a refund or a replacement handset there and there on the spot. Otherwise, they're not boarding the plane. So it was a terrible situation for Samsung. But what annoyed me the most about it, despite the fact that they did quite illegally try to cover up the issue and they haven't been accountable, held to account for that, um, was the fact that they dismissed it. They did not go out of their way to let the customer, the consumer know the reasons why these phones were catching fire. They simply said, "Okay, well, we we hold our hands up now. We've removed the product for the market due to the safety uh, of our customers, and we will be doing some investigations um, and, and inquiries into why these things were catching fire. It's obviously a problem that was a lot more serious than before. When we anticipated it was a small batch of batteries that were the problem. Now, It all went quiet after that. It all went completely quiet. And we have yet to hear anything officially from Samsung and any sort of official explanation whatsoever. Now, there is a little problem. And that little problem is the end of February to early March. And that's called Mobile World Congress. Now, Mobile World Congress is normally the event, the industry event, where Samsung release details of their next generation of flagship phone. Now the Note line is dead. It's not. There's not going to be a Note eight. The name is completely tarnished. The Galaxy, the Galaxy line, is Samsung's flagship line now, and Samsung are relying on the Galaxy S eight to be their main phone for 2017. Now, because Mobile World Congress is coming up, and there is still a lot of ill, 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 ill feeling towards Samsung from the consumer's point of view. Um, an announcement really has to be made as an attempt to reassure consumers that the Samsung brand is still one to be trusted. Now, what many predicted would happen is that uh, there would be a sudden increase in sales of the iPhone 7 or the Google Pixel phone, and that didn't really happen. Um, The point being that um, if you wanted a Samsung phone, the chances are it's because you wanted an Android phone or you wanted a more affordable phone than the iPhone. And um, so the iPhone 7 is still an iOS device. It's not an Android phone. And the Google Pixel, um, although I believe that will be the main Android handset to have simply because of the exclusive features that it has and the fact that it is um, Android is pretty much optimised now to to run to perform best on that hardware. Um, the, the Pixel phones cost just as much, in some cases even more than an iPhone. So I, I don't believe it, um, it. Neither Google or Apple have directly benefited from the misfortune of Samsung to the extent that people thought that they would. Um, but nonetheless, the world was still waiting for uh, uh, a satisfactory explanation from Samsung. Um, but some information has come to light and it came to light via the Android Central tech blog and a report by Mark Legeis, and I think that's how we pronounce his name, um, concerning that he had been contacted with an insider from Samsung and that an insider who was disclosed the reasons behind the Galaxy Note 7's exploding and that, that the reasons will be disclosed by Samsung officially on Monday, the 23rd of January. Now, it does seem a little underwhelming when we hear what the reasons were, and and as much as um, we were told before that it was the battery at fault, we are going to be told again that it is the battery at fault. And it seems a little underwhelming that it took Samsung this long just to determine oh, it was just the battery. We need clearly we need more information than that did they um was their new battery technology being used were there was fast charging being pushed too far you know we need we need a little bit more information before we can even begin to consider um trusting samsung again i you know so while I'm not particularly impressed with Samsung just stating the obvious um I am hoping that they provide us with more thorough report on on Monday, and that this isn't just a dubious attempt to calm the waters before Mobile World Congress. Here's hoping for some real accountability, because I can tell you one thing, particularly as a father of, uh, of, of three young children, I wouldn't allow a new Samsung device to be brought into my home. I mean, people were injured, people lost their homes, people lost their cars, people lost, you know, it's, this is a serious matter jokes aside. it's an incredibly serious matter and I just do not think Samson have demonstrated any real accountability as of yet. So yeah, I'm expecting a thorough report on Monday and I want to be completely reassured that they have identified the problem. They are not just fobbing the public off and they have learned lessons. They have learned lessons and I want to know what lessons they have learned and I want to know how they are going to ensure that this won't happen again in future, how they are going to ensure that they will no longer rush products to market without sufficient testing, that they will no longer push uh, certain technologies beyond the boundaries of what what is safe. And acceptable. So in a rather serendipitous uh, bit of timing, particularly as the finger of blame is being pointed towards Samsung and this battery issue with the Galaxy Note 7, an image has leaked its way onto the internet in the past week. And this image is showing what is purported to be the Samsung Galaxy S8, which will be their new flagship phone for 2017. And It's funny because, let me jump back a little bit. Um, People last year were underwhelmed with Apple's iPhone 7. But we had known from quite earlier on last year that we were not going to get a a, a redesign product. We were going to get the same form factor as the iPhone 6 and 6S. And we were going to get a sort of a minor spec bump and that Apple were holding the guns out uh, back until the 10th anniversary this year, 2017, in which they were going to release a brand new design, bezel screen, um, curved display, um, and that they had already paved the way to get rid of the home button. See, the home button on the iPhone 7 is um, a virtual button that uses haptic feedback to create the illusion that you're pressing the button, but there is no button there and so you know the, as uh, the, the rumors uh, were uh, for quite a while actually that um apple were paving the way for uh, a bezel-less screen um no home button no home button at all uh, the touch id sensor would be actually underneath the screen um and uh, obviously the removal of the headphone jack in the iphone 7 paved the way for an ultra thin design now this image that uh, has leaked of the galaxy s what does it show us? it shows us uh, a Samsung smartphone with uh, a bezel-less screen it shows us that their fingerprint sensor is embedded beneath that screen it shows us the removal of the home button that used to be on all Samsung smartphones previous and it shows us the removal of a headphone jack which used to be on all Samsung phones of previous. Sound familiar? Of course it does, because this is the type of thing that Samsung have always done. And this is the type one of the reasons why I'm not particularly fond of Samsung as a manufacturer of smartphones and tablets. Their products never seem to lead the way. I believe I used a phrase in the last episode that they throw spaghetti at a wall. You know, they have a whole lot of ideas, a whole lot of technologies at their disposal. They have no real... Idea of how to use these technologies to uh, create a useful and compelling product, but they literally throw everything against the wall and see what and see what sticks. But they also they don't create innovative products; they create reactionary products. And what I mean by that is every single new generation of their phones and their other devices seem to be a reaction to what Apple has done previously. Now, now when um, Steve Jobs uh, was active as CEO at Apple, he ran a tight ship. Apple were incredibly secretive, and we were genuinely surprised when it came to the point of them unveiling a new product. Under the leadership of Tim Cook, who did promise to double down on secrecy, Apple's ideas and products have leaked like a sieve. And so we hear, uh, well, at earlier and earlier points, it seems, that uh, information about their next generation of products. And I think we've been hearing about this 10th anniversary iPhone, although I'm not sure we'll be marketed as a 10th anniversary iPhone, for the best part of a year now. And this is the thing. Samsung seem to have no clear vision for their products. And everything is based of an Apple rumor. And I'll give you some other examples of that. Um, for example, the very early generations of the, um, the Galaxy Gear smartwatch that Samsung, quite frankly, rushed to market were all based on rumors about what Apple might be developing. And bearing in mind there had been rumors for for years about Apple uh, developing some sort of uh, wearable technology uh, or a smartwatch and when Apple actually were ready to unveil the Apple Watch, as we know it, and actually revealed uh, the user interface of the Apple Watch, the, um, the sort of uh, bed of uh, circular icons to, which represented the apps, and circular icons are something that Apple never really did before. Everything was um, sort of rounded rectangles. Um, and they also revealed navigating your way around the user interface of the watch using the unique digital crown. As soon as they announced those things, Samsung uh, rushed to market the Gear S2. Now, the Gear S2, curiously enough, also had a user interface um, that... but they, they couldn't outright copy the digital crown because I'm sure Apple patented that, but um, they had a rotating bezel which operated in exactly the same manner as the digital crown. They also had their apps displayed as uh, circular icons in exactly the same manner that the Apple Watch did. So, you know, that that again is an example of the sort of things that they did. And I'm instantly reminded of um, uh, some, some patent uh, diagrams that were... were were leaked out in August of last year. Uh, Samsung were patenting a smartwatch band and I can't remember what's particularly special about this band but the controversy wasn't in the band itself but rather the the diagrams of the smartwatch that they submitted. Now this smartwatch resembled the Apple watch for some reason. It didn't resemble a, a, a Gear S watch at all. It would totally resemble the Apple watch. It had a digital crown in the same place. It had a rectangular watch face in exactly the same manner and it also had had um, a sensor. The sensor the Apple Watch has at the back of its watch face, um, and so that uh, monitors heart rate and so forth, it looked exactly the same. And one has to ask, if they are submitting a patent to protect their ideas and their technologies, why are they using Apple products to demonstrate those technologies in terms of the diagrams that they submit? It just goes to show that they are more concerned and more focused on what Apple are doing than what they can bring to the table themselves. And and it goes beyond that. Uh, for example, the uh, Apple released the, the Wallet app where you can have your ball-in passes and where you can have your loyalty cards and, and, and all such things, your digital wallet in one place. Samsung followed with the Samsung wallet. Apple came out with Apple Pay and Samsung followed with Samsung Pay the iPhone 5S brought us Touch ID and uh, Samsung very quickly followed with their uh, their own fingerprint sensor. And, uh, you know, there's there's even rumors now that the Galaxy S8 will also contain a dual camera system. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like the iPhone 7 Plus. So there does come a point where this just seems to be beyond coincidence. And it's really sad and Somewhat embarrassing and also very hard to respect a company who doesn't seem to have its own internal vision. All you have to do is look at the recent influx of uh, home assistant products that we've seen come to market, such as the Amazon Echo and uh, the Google Home, which we're still awaiting uh, a UK release for. Now, a product has uh, recently come to my attention, and I say it's a product, but it's more of a prototype or proof of concept. And it's it's captured my attention because I think it perfectly exemplifies the intersection of technology and our emotional being. Now, our relationship with technology is clearly changing. We are becoming increasingly dependent on technology and reliant upon technology to perform the most simplest of tasks. I mean, even right now, I'm I'm using my my smartwatch to control the lighting in my room. But um, what's also changing is technology's understanding contextual understanding and interpretation of us. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, a a product from a design and innovation company called Uniform, and that product is called the Solo Emotional Radio. Now, I often rely on Apple Music to lift my mood. Um, Apple Music has a very clever way of using all sorts of complicated algorithms to determine what my musical tastes are and to come up with a number of curated playlists uh, suggesting uh, a combination of songs that, based on my previous tastes, I'm likely to enjoy. Now, that's great, and that actually works most of the time for me, but um, the one thing um, algorithms cannot predict is your current state of mind and your current mood. So while my musical tastes may be easy to determine, what cannot be determined is how I'm feeling in the moment. So that's why I'm particularly fascinated uh, with Uniform's uh, solo product, the Emotional Radio. Now, this is essentially, I mean, it's a a bright yellow wall-mounted retro, like retro-looking radio device, but it has an integrated camera now, there's an integrated camera that analyzes your face, and it, it relies upon a Microsoft API. Um, there's a camera that snaps the images of you, sends it off across to the API, determines whether you're looking happy, whether you're looking sad or worried or upset, you know, anxious. And based on that, in combination with your musical tastes, it's using Spotify algorithms to determine your musical tastes, it will play music to lift your mood or to suit your mood. Here are some comments from one of Uniform's developers to explain the benefits of using artificial intelligence in this manner. To work out your emotion, all that this radio has to go on are the pixels on an image that it takes with a little camera that's hidden behind one of those holes there. It's essentially a grid of numbers, which are quite difficult to get meaning out of. But there are a few different tricks that it can use. So for instance, the bridge of your nose is likely to be a lot brighter than either side. Just the way that the light will hit it, your cheeks are going to be a lot brighter than your eyes are, and so on and so on as you zoom in further and further on different bits of your face. Now, if you look in the image for these different areas of contrast, you can start to pick out different facial features like the corners of your mouth or the positions of your eyebrows. And once you have those, you can look at the angle that they're making in connection with each other to give you clues as to what emotion somebody has at that moment.
0: We thought what would AI look like if we designed it, thinking about human characteristics and the personas we came up with were the buddy, butler and police. So the buddy, we're thinking that might be able to inspire you or try to lift you up with happier options, like a friend would, so like the world's best mix city from a great friend that knows you really well. If you had a radio in the car where it could see you and it could see, it could sense you were getting tired, and it could start playing really upbeat music. It could prevent car accidents. It could definitely have practical applications like that. One area we see the emotional radio functioning in in quite an interesting way is with um, health and well-being. So what would it look like if you used artificial intelligence and music for self-care and well-being? And you could start to try to take control of your mood. You could have something that learned what made you feel better, what made you feel worse, and you could really easily manage that.
1: Now, this opens all sorts of uh, possibilities. Um, I mean, the fact that we can now develop technology to demonstrate empathy is nothing short of amazing. And just imagine being able to configure a, a device such as this to say, hey, if you notice I'm feeling sad, make sure you play something to lift me up. Or, if you notice I'm feeling a little bit sad, play something to suit my mood. You know, don't break me out of that moment. And This is absolutely fascinating and and this is definitely the next stage of AI and what I like particularly about this product is how such a clever idea just ties into existing services. Like I said, it relies upon a Microsoft API and and, and it relies upon Spotify, but the innovation utilizes existing services in a very unique way and I also like how this product, I mean, it has a screen and the screen sort of uh, displays a a face. So it it, it gives the the, the product personality and it smiles at you, it looks at you, it frowns at you, you know, it appears pensive at times. And I'm loving the way now we are personalizing technology, for example, Siri. on on iOS devices, Siri has her own personality. She's sassy. She's sarcastic at times. Um, Alexa has uh, her own personality. Google Home Assistant doesn't so much have much of a personality at all. It's still okay, Google, but... um, now I don't know how many of you are familiar with um, Quantum Leap, uh, but uh, the dream for me was always to have a, a computer that would respond to me much like uh, Ziggy did in that show with uh, Doctor Sam Beckett and and with Al the Observer. Uh, he would have his, he'd have his own personality, the computer, and and, and and you know there there would be a um, a superficial relationship of sorts between um, the uh, the 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 technology and the user of the technology. Um, I, I like the way we are really integrating technology within our everyday lives, and some people may be concerned at the extent of which we're doing that, but that, from my point of view, is certainly certainly the way forward. Now, this particular concept, uh, the solo, they describe it as emotional radio, and um, it was actually first demonstrated in September 2016 at the London Design Festival. And I'm kind of frustrated how I, I, I wasn't able to catch it at the time. But I am keeping an eye out on Uniform's website uh, to see if there will be any further demonstrations in future. I'll provide the link to it and I'll provide a link to their video demonstrating the concept uh, in the show notes. Um, but I'm hoping that they somehow turn this into a product they actually turn this into a product which i would be only too happy to to put in my room that would be a great place to put in my study and have it there just to just just to keep watch on me as creepy as that may sound though but just to just to uh just 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 to play play music to suit the occasion because i do find myself um extremely reliant on music as an emotional crutch you know um if I'm having a tough day, I'll listen to some smooth jazz music. It will, it will lift me up. Um, if I just want to forget about the worries of the working day, I'll put anything on my, on my iPhone and listen to it and get lost in it. So music plays a very important part in my life emotionally. And this fusion uh, between technology and emotion is one that I find extremely compelling. Week, some news broke uh, concerning former Beatle Paul McCartney, who is a hero to many but not all to me. Um, who's decided to sue the Sony Corporation, at uh, least their music publishing department uh, in the federal court in New York, to reclaim copyrights to 267 Beatles songs that Michael Jackson acquired two decades before he died. Now, this story has been going on for years. Um, this, the story goes that in the early 80s, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney formed quite a close friendship. And Paul McCartney had a conversation with Michael Jackson, who solo career was just, you know, was, was, was shooting to astronomical heights. And obviously a lot of money was coming his way. And Paul McCartney advised Michael Jackson that investing in music publishing rights was a very lucrative option. Now, as the story goes, um, the rights to some of the Beatles songs, or I think the bulk of the Beatles songs, uh, became available, um, and in 1985, and Paul McCartney uh, wasn't prepared to bid the amount. Uh, that was required to obtain those rights. Michael Jackson was quite happy to pay the $47.5 million to obtain the collection of works, and he did so fair and square. Now, a lot of people criticise Michael Jackson, saying that he stabbed his friend in the back, but the way I see it, Paul McCartney was a rich man. Paul McCartney still is a rich man, and he had every opportunity. In actual fact, he had first refusal to obtain those uh, publishing rights, but he claimed that they were not worth the price that uh, were being asked of them. And it's my point of view that the main problem people some people have with that particular turn of events, was that an African-American artist, Michael Jackson, was able to execute such a shrewd move. Now, the problem is Michael Jackson took those those collections of, of, of Beatles songs and he formed a joint uh, publishing venture with Sony Music called Sony ATV. So Michael Jackson took the songs that he acquired and. Which at that point not only included the Beatles catalog, but also included songs by the likes of Bruce Springsteen, Cher, Hank Williams, Little Richard, and the Rolling Stones. And Sony had a number of songs that they had, um, and they formed Sony ATV, and collectively they owned the public and controlled the publishing rights of all of that music. Now, that was probably the point. Uh, where Michael Jackson started to develop uh, a lot of enemies. And I suspect, and it might sound controversial, but I suspect it was considered unacceptable for an African-American to have that prestigious an asset. Because the ATV did not just include contemporary music and Beatles songs, it even included songs recorded by Elvis Presley. No, in actual fact, let, let, let me just go through some of the uh, the name, names of some of the artists, some of the material that that catalogue included, just to give you an idea of how prestigious that jewel really was. I mean, we were talking about like sort of Barbra Streisand, Billy Joel. We're talking about the likes of Eminem and Shakira and Pink. And we're talking about the likes, you know, right, right up until you know, 2012, the likes of Justin Bieber, One Direction, The Beach Boys, Lady Gaga. Some of Marvin Gaye's stuff is in there. Some of Taylor Swift's stuff was in there. It was an incredibly prestigious asset. And if you want to to, to see the extent of of, of what that catalogue included, you can just go to Sony ATV's website. But Michael Jackson, during the later years of his life, was under a lot of pressure, a lot of financial pressure, to give up that catalogue. And as a matter of pride, he didn't want to let go of it. As a matter of pride, he he wanted to retain it and retain it for his children, his family, and so forth. Now, what disappoints me is, I believe, that the powers that be got their way in the end. And essentially, Michael Jackson died in 2009. And very shortly afterwards, his estate, and I believe this was around it was definitely in 2016, um, sold that catalogue, sold the rights, or rather sold his half back to Sony now for $750 million, which many consider to be significantly and suspiciously undervalued. So now Sony, Sony own ATV in its entirety, And they now have the Beatles material and the other material, such as the Elvis material that Michael Jackson initially invested in that Sony didn't control at all prior to the merger. And Michael Jackson's estate no longer have any part of that catalogue. And I believe that Michael Jackson would have been against that decision. And I just find it all rather convenient. And on the subject of that convenience... So Paul McCartney is now suing Sony um, because he wishes to take advantage of the 1976 Copyright Act, which basically means that he should be able to reclaim ownership of his works um, after a specific period of time has passed. Now, Paul McCartney claims that he expressed his, his intent to Sony ATV, Uh, that he wished to do this in 2008 and they haven't responded to him in any sort of formal manner. Sony claim right now that uh, Paul McCartney's legal action is unnecessary and premature. But I just find the timing mighty suspicious. So Paul McCartney said that he expressed the interest to reclaim those works in 2008. Michael Jackson dies 2009. The estate sale... The rights back to saying just a matter of years later, 2016. I'm no conspiracy theorist, or tell a lie, maybe a little, but it's one to think about. address the elephant in the room and that being the inauguration of the dark lord of the Sith, donald trump as u.s president on the 20th of january 2017 now i've got to tread carefully here because as much as i love and i am fascinated with the uh, subject of politics this is not a political podcast so let me just get at my system, my views on Donald Trump, narcissistic, egotistic, and a bit of a megalomaniac. And I believe his short-sighted, deep-rooted arrogance will be at the world's peril. But nonetheless, um, it's becoming increasingly clear, or it became increasingly clear from during his rather disgraceful campaign against hillary clinton uh that social media is going to be key in terms of him communicating and justifying his policies and in terms of dealing with world conflict because what we certainly have learned from trump is that he has an incredible thin skin and he relies heavily on ranting on twitter um Now he's some of the most outrageous tweets we we have seen from him. uh, 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 You know, include the accusations that Barack Obama was the worst president in U.S. history. That um, if Hillary Clinton cannot satisfy her husband, what makes her think she can satisfy America? um, You know, and he goes on. He anyone who dares criticise him, this is how thin his skin is, uh, gets insulted straight away. Um, CNN run a fake news operation, for example. Meryl Streep, of all people. And this is after Trump has been elected and when he's president-elect. Meryl Streep, for example, is the most overrated actress of all time simply because she had one or two um, unflattering things to say about him. He cannot take criticism. And what's even more alarming is not just the fact that he jumps onto Twitter at any first opportunity, it's the fact that he does so at three in the morning or four in the morning. If you look at the timestamps of his tweets, um, he's he's kind of unhinged. And the reason why the game has changed, I believe, is because Trump lives for the day. He lives for the tweet. Um, it said, I, I read this. It said that on the day of an inauguration, the outgoing president. Um, and the incoming president. They sit down with a member of security, they go through things such as the nuclear codes, uh, the potential consequences of using such weaponry. Uh, for example, you know how many people will be killed? Um, and it's supposed to be quite a sombering uh, moment. And it's supposed to be a moment of great humility uh, for the incoming president, and they actually and it 's actually been said that many presidents, many incoming presidents have actually cried at that moment or been rendered speechless now, I do wonder if that uh, has applied to donald trump if if that was the case when Obama sat down with Trump uh, and discussed such things. but the thing is from what we 've seen so far about Donald Trump is that he has no humility um, he he has none at all uh, and the, the smallest bit of criticism you, criticism you put his way, he will jump onto Twitter and he will use it. Now, that's made me wonder a little bit because um, Trump has an absolutely terrible relationship with the media. He criticizes the media as being phony, as promoting fake news, and as being um, in bed with uh, liberalists, and, and they're all out to get him. And he will rant on Twitter and have a go at the various publications and outlets by name. And the problem with him, and it's hard to talk about him without without laughing, is that because of this terrible relationship, I think we have seen the end, certainly in terms of his presidency, we have seen the end of traditional press conferences. I think they're completely out the window now. Um, I don't know if... um, you caught his speech uh, about a week prior to his inauguration where uh, the press were there and they were asking him questions and he was refusing to speak to certain members of the press. I believe it was CNN again. He was saying, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not speaking to you. You're fake news. I don't want to speak to you. So if you remain Trump's friend, great. If you don't, you're out the door. So because his relationship with media is so bad and because I don't believe he is going to rely on traditional press conferences any further, social media is going to be the thing to look at um i believe trump will continue to lose twitter he's already said that he's going to continue to use his personal twitter account i'm not sure how as a matter of security he's able to do that but he has already tweeted from the white house uh praising his own inauguration speech but nonetheless he claims he's going to continue to use his own twitter account and What happens when there are conflicts, world conflicts to deal with? What happens when there is a a serious disagreement between America and one of its enemies? Is Trump going to blast a a world leader on Twitter? Um, Is he going to jump online and start revealing secrets and plans and things that he really should keep to himself just as a way of ranting and retorting to something uh, a leader of some other state may have said? it makes me wonder if the next major world conflict, if the next world war may be provoked by a tweet. And this really is the change. This really does represent a change in the way politics is presented to the public because We've read this in the UK. We have seen a number of political figures um, rely heavily on Twitter to get their message across. And we've seen a number of mistakes being made. For example, you just have to look at the website deleted tweets and you see a politician write something. Oh, gosh, I'm going to delete that very quickly. But once you've written it, once you've posted it, it's there. It's archived for all to see. So um, blunders happen. On Twitter, and they happen quite regularly. But in the case of Donald Trump, and I do hate to say this, and it does uh, send a shiver down my spine saying it, he is technically the most powerful man in the world right now. And he has a thin skin. He can't handle social media, he can't use social media responsibly. But that is the only outlet he is prepared to use. As far as I'm concerned, because he has destroyed his relationship with the press, been interesting uh, four years. If Trump lasts uh, the first term, I certainly don't believe, have have no faith at all he'll be uh, elected for a second term. But stranger things have happened. Um, he's going to use social media to disseminate messages on his own terms, and they will be on his own terms. And the uh you know we've already seen the reaction of of uh, stock markets for example going up and down just based you know, in the last couple of weeks just based on things that he has said impetuously so uh, his twitter account is whether you, you like him or loathe him is is certainly one to watch um and one does have to ask the question and 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 leave 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 me your comments and feedback whether you believe that such a High-profile public figure, which he is now, should be allowed to use social media so freely and so irresponsibly. questions uh, emailed to us uh, since the broadcast of our first episode last week, one of which uh, comes from a Danielle in South London. And Danielle asks that, uh, well, she has an iPad, an iPad third generation, which she's uh, managed to use for a number of years, and it's uh, performing rather sluggishly. And she wants to know if now is a good time to purchase a new iPad. Um, Danielle's expressed that she's interested in the iPad Pro as uh, she is an artist. Now, my advice to Danielle would be to hold fire, only because um, all rumours are pointing towards March uh, for Apple to release a new range of iPads, a new range of iPad Pros. Um, It looks like we are going to get an update to the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, um, but it will actually be a larger, have a larger screen. It will be 10.9 inches with the same form factor as the current 9.7-inch Pro, uh, that being because uh, the new iPads are to have no bezel and there are rumors that the home button will disappear, much like the same rumors uh, concerning the 10th anniversary iPhone that's due to be released later this year. Um, there are also rumours that the larger 12.9 inch iPad Pro will have a similar update uh, which will result in a larger screen area. I'm not sure exactly what that size will be. And there are rumours that Apple are going to introduce a 7.9 inch iPad Pro which uh, will in effect be a Pro version of the iPad Mini. So all those devices will support the Apple Pencil. Now, I don't know how much these devices will cost and I don't know to what extent these rumors are correct, but March does seem to be the right sort of time for which Apple to update its iPad line. And my advice to Danielle would be that it's worth waiting until March, even if you decide you don't want to go for the the new line of products and it may, you know, you may be cost prohibited or whatever. Uh, but, the current generation of iPad Pro products will indeed go down in price, but they will remain available um, at at the same time the new ones are introduced. So I would hold fire till March. It's not that far away. We are virtually in February uh, and wait to see what Apple have to offer. Now, the next question comes from an anonymous uh, listener. Uh, He didn't leave a name, but uh, nonetheless, you're asking about... Uh, AirPods, Apple's AirPods. These are the wireless AirPods that uh, were announced at the same time as the iPhone 7 last year, but were delayed and weren't released until December. Now AirPods have been a little hard to find, uh, particularly in the UK. Uh, there seems to be some sort of issue with manufacturing them. Apple can't seem to get them out fast enough. They, they they're released in dribs and drabs into Apple stores um, and some retailers such as Curry's PC World or John Lewis. But generally, they have been hard to find. Now, I myself I do have a pair of AirPods, and I will speak about my thoughts on on them in a later episode. But uh, our anonymous listener. Uh, Uh, their question was more specifically about any tips to obtain AirPods, because I believe if you order from Apple's website, there is a six week waiting period. Now, what you can do is on Apple's website, uh, search for stock availability in stores. Now, um, it seems like stock is extremely sparse. So nothing is showing up at the moment um but if you are lucky and there is availability you can uh, pay online and collect uh, collect the item directly in the store as as I did a couple of weeks ago Now I have got a little bit of a tip for our listener and that's to look at the iStockNow website. So it's iStockNow.com. Now, iStockNow um, presents you with a Google map, and it allows you to see the stock of various Apple I- I- items uh, worldwide. So you can you know, narrow it down to the UK. Now, um, you can uh, adjust the filter to look specifically for AirPods, and the idea is if anything shows up on the map, um, there is a direct link that's generated, takes you to Apple's website, you're able to pay for the product, make a reservation, pick it up and at store in your leisure. Now, um, there's a new feature that's been introduced by iStock now, and that's to subscribe to alerts. So you pick the Apple stores that are closest to you, and you will receive an alert as soon as stock status changes on the website, now that's the best advice I can give you in terms of picking one up until um, Apple sorts out their supply issue. Because as soon as you're alerted, follow the link, jump on the website, pay, and be done. If you have Apple Pay, that that's great because then you know do, do the uh, the process for um, uh, checking out and payment is is all the more quicker. Um, so it's it's getting difficult to obtain these AirPods. So I do recommend iStock now. Um, they also show you the stock level in other stores, such as Curry's PC World, in addition to Apple stores. So definitely give it a try. Register for alerts and just cross your fingers, basically, because there's not much else we can do for now. What I would advise is do not pay the extortionate prices uh, for, the, for that some people are selling these products for on eBay. Apple will sort out the stock situation soon enough. It's the same with every one of their new products. Well, uh, that's about all the time we have for now. Uh, Thank you for joining us uh, on on, on episode two of this show. And uh, we will be back with you next week. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Um, You can find us listed on the iTunes store. And also, um, if you wish to leave any comments or feedback, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, You can email us at um, feedback at intersectioncast.com. You can leave comments on our message section on our website, which is intersectioncast.com. You can leave us a Skype voicemail. Uh, You'll find that our Skype account is feedback at intersectioncast.com. If you want to follow us, you can do so on Facebook, uh, facebook facebook.com forward slash intersectioncast, or our Twitter user account, which is at Let's Intersect. My name is Jonathan Wildman. I was your host again for this week. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Jonathan Wildman. So until the next time we meet, that's a wrap.
0: The intersection